Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrienne Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We have a very special guest. Uh, We are actually going to be interviewing one of the dietitians at Body Metrics. And so we are welcoming Michelle Donovan to the podcast today. Michelle is a registered and licensed dietitian, as well as an American College of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer. She has been working in the nutrition field for almost 30 years. We, I think we were doing the math and we said 30 years. So Michelle, welcome so much to the show. Adrian, thank you so much for having me. I think we've got a really important topic here today. Oh, absolutely. So today we're talking about menopause and Michelle, I know you see lots of clients at our office as well, but man, a lot yes. of women are struggling right now. Including me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. So we're not, we're not only talking about it, we're actively going through it and, and able to, to firsthand see the struggles and empathize. Absolutely. But but also be able to educate. Yes, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about where your passion is with this particular age group. Like what made you start doing more research and going for continuing education in this particular realm of nutrition? Well, I think it became very personal for me. I was suffering from between 10 and 20 hot flashes in a day, which is really disruptive for sleep. Um, I had reached out to my personal you know, care physician, my gynecologist, and I realized there's not a lot of good answers that, that the doctors had for me in terms of treating some of those symptoms and trying to do it so that I could maybe try to avoid using different medications. So in doing that, I started looking at, you know, what's the impact of food? What is the impact of alcohol? What is the impact of exercise? Um, We know that there's an impact in terms of how many pregnancies you've had, how many children you've breastfed. And so as I did more research, it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot put together in all one spot. And so I've kind of started taking my own notes just so that I could help myself through it. And then, as you know, we have a lot of clients who in their forties, fifties, and are suffering from some of these very same issues and didn't really realize that there might be a lifestyle component to it. So helping them figure out where the lifestyle component comes in is sometimes for some of these women is, is life altering. Yeah. So I actually want to back up because now I'm curious because some of the things you just mentioned. So what does number of pregnancies and and number of children you breastfed, what does that have to do with menopause? That's a great question. So the more pregnancies you have and the longer time you have breastfed, it actually will change the time at which you begin menopause. So basically we only have so much estrogen that we're going to produce. So when we are pregnant and breastfeeding, our bodies have slowed that down dramatically. So what that does is means that there's still, you know, a simplified way to put it, there's still some left in the bottle 
that will be poured out later. So we find that women who are um, have had multiple pregnancies and have breastfed, they typically will start their menopause a lot later as compared to women who have had no children um, or maybe had children and didn't breastfeed and they may start their menopause earlier. So when we talk about menopause, it's actually 12 months after your last period. So it's the period of perimenopause where women are going, starting to go through these changes. And so sometimes being aware that they can start in your forties. Um, and sometimes they start as late as like the mid fifties that has an impact on people's lives and what you're doing at that point, how old your children are. And I don't know about you, Adrian, but it's not something my mother ever talked about. And I feel like it was kind of like a taboo subject. You didn't talk about menopause, but luckily we've started that conversation and more women are like, this is how many hot flashes I'm having, or I can't sleep, or I have no sex drive because it really impacts the quality of our lives. Yeah. I think women's health in general, right? We can even yeah. go as far as talking about women's health and, and we didn't really, like you said, it wasn't talked about. It was more private. Now things are very different. Um, yeah. you know, I didn't Now this is totally different topic. And, and for some people, <laughs> this may be too much information, but you know, I know when, you know, when we were younger and in school and if, you know, we got our periods, we had to be very discreet about going yes. to the bathroom. And now it's like, they wave it around, like, got to go change my tampon. And I'm like, <laughs> but wow, that's exactly the case though. You know, I, I love the fact that we see commercials for every type of feminine hygiene product, whether it's, you know, the traditional ones or the, the new underwear and, you know, diva cups that are a little bit more sustainable because mm -hmm. it gets that thing out there. And I don't even know if you've seen the commercial recently for some products that help women go to the bathroom. And they're like, come on, say it. It's 2022 women poop. And I was like, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, <laughs> don't you get me started on poop. You know, that's my favorite, favorite topic right, but, of all time. So but absolutely. <laughs> like the fact that we need to talk about these things because women are, are suffering in silence. Yeah. you know, with what's going on with their bodies. And they're more likely to be taken in by someone who doesn't have the right background and is more willing to maybe swindle them and make a few bucks off of it. Because who else do I go to talk to? Oh, they're advertising that they're going to help me. So that must be a place I can go because they're afraid to talk to friends, sisters, cousins, mothers, aunts, grandmothers about what was your menopause experience like? How did you handle the, the side effects? How long did it last for you? All of those things that I had to seek out the answers from my mother and my sisters. I had trouble, you know, they were a little uncomfortable talking about it, but yeah. maybe because we talk about poop, I'll talk about menopause too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, was, I, I don't know if I really had any conversations with my mom. I know she installed ceiling fans in every room of the house. So that was usually an indication that, hey, something's different with mom. Like she's not dealing with something very well. Um, I know when she installed one in the upstairs bathroom, we're like, what is she doing? But <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and I can say that my mom listens to the podcast, so it's fine. She'll laugh. But um, so what do you think makes this particular subgroup of women more vulnerable than others when it comes to nutrition? Well, so I think there's a lot of things going on. Right now, when, when our bodies start changing hormones, it's like in the beginning of pregnancy, right? One day you felt like on top of the world, the other day you were exhausted and miserable. So remembering that it's a change in our life that's going on and that things are going to be different. Um, and when we, we think about like 
the, the whole perimenopause, that time leading up to when our period actually stops, we have to remember that our, our hormones are actually beginning to decline as our ovaries are aging. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a matter of like, we can't like inject our ovaries and say, come on, last a little bit longer. So you're going to have things like sleep disturbances, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, you know, low sex drive. And all of these things can really impair someone's life. Um, you know, so like I said, menopause stops after our hormones have stopped. And if we think about it, about 95% of our, of our estrogen is produced in our ovaries. And as our ovaries are declining, we're going to see the impact of that. So we see this decline in estrogen and progesterone. And one of the, the things that I've read is that part of the decline is because of the fact that we're really not capable of having children and the continued, maybe assault is a strong word, but assault of those hormones on our bodies also pre can predispose us to more cancers. So all of your estrogen sensitive breast cancers, uterine cancer. So it's a protective mechanism as we get older that we're not going to continue to reproduce. So let's protect the body from cancer. So I think sometimes that we can look at it as a protective mechanism instead of, I had some woman said, I just feel like my femininity has been stripped away from me. Mm. And so instead of thinking it along those lines, thinking along the lines of, well, this is why if we have less estrogen and less progesterone being produced, that we have hopefully a lower incidence of future cancers. Wow. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And again, something that is not widely known. So right. it's really helpful. And hearing something like, I feel like my femininity has gone away, just made me like so sad that someone was very concerned about all of those changes that were happening in their body. So it, it can really impact people. Yeah. Well, I want to go into some of the challenges that menopausal women face. I mean, you mentioned some of them, like the vaginal dryness and the lack of sleep, you know, and lack of sleep alone, even <laughs> for women that are not going through menopause can, you know, increase nutritional cravings, increase hunger hormones, you know, just make that. you, make you irritable. Right. Yeah. You know, so okay. sleep is such a driver. I always call it one of the core fours. Like if you don't got good sleep, if you don't got water, like nutrition is going to suffer. So we got to get some Absolutely. of those foundational principles in place. What right. do you think are some other, the challenge, more challenges that. Well, I think like the, the first thing is like, we almost feel like our body's betraying us, right? Because I'm not sleeping and I slept so well, you know, you get, you get past the toddler stage of your kids, right? They're, they're finally done going out until 11 or 12 at night. Like, okay. Now I should be able to sleep and all of a sudden, you know, a hot flash is waking you up or you're, you're not, you know, able to remember things. So the, the hot flashes will wake people up or people will call them the night sweats. So that's, that's really bad. And that wakes people up. Um, there's also some people who suffer from what they call menopause brain, where they almost feel like they can't get their brain out of first gear. And there's actually current research being done on what is the impact of estrogen on the brain. Because at any given age, women get Alzheimer's disease, disease at twice the rate of men. So, and when they try to, you know, look at other factors like food, exercise, all of that, and take that out, they can't figure out what it is. So we're looking at estrogen's role in the brain. Um, so we have urinary frequency or urgency. So sometimes this is when women start experiencing issues with having, you know, incontinence where they're like, uh oh, I feel like I'm going to wet my pants or I've laughed now. And you know, great. I it was funny until I, <laughs> until I, you know, until I wet my pants. 
mood changes, right? Which go along with all of that, not just your horm hormones changing, but you haven't slept or you're, you're feeling hot and irritable, um, decreased sex drive. Some women have a little bit of hair loss as they um, go through menopause. Some women don't. And some people report gaining weight. Um, there's not a direct correlation to that. A lot of it is like, you're kind of at that point in your life where you maybe put on a few pounds over, over the years and all of a sudden you're just disgusted with how, what's going on with your body and all of a sudden you notice it. So it's kind of like, is this a, a part of aging or is it a direct result of menopause? Or like you said, we're not sleeping, changes our metabolism and people who don't sleep enough eat more calories. Right. So, or they're at that stage in their life where they're maybe going out to eat more because, you know, kids are out of the house and they have a little bit more flexibility. Yep. They may be drinking more because they don't have to yes. get up early to take care of small children you know, yes. lifestyle. There are lifestyle, but I a lot of say, lifestyle. I don't know about you, Michelle, but the clients that, you know, some of the ones that I'm seeing, you know, that um, in the office that are coming, they're always pointing right to their stomach right? Yeah. They're like, I never had this before, make it go away. And they're noticing a shift in where, you know, gravity is pulling things down <laughs> into the stomach region. And then, you know, where they may have used to, to hold their weight in their hips and thighs and butt is now moving north into their right. stomach region. So right. because we're more testosterone driven after we go through menopause, because 95% of our estrogen that was made in our ovaries is gone. And so the weight that was gained that you may not have seen if it was on your backside, <laughs> now it's not there anymore. So estrogen is a driver of that pear shape. So in the, in the, the rear end and the thighs, testosterone and the, those androgens are a driver of the, the middle weight gain. So that's a part of it. The other thing that may also go along with it is the, the issues with cortisol as we're dealing with stressful issues as we get older, because that is also the place that we tend to put weight on when we have elevated levels of the stress hormone cortisol. But testosterone is really the driver of that, you know, gut, which is why you typically see that's the way that men gain weight. Yeah. So we start to enter into that realm. Now I've also read, and you know, you, like I said, you've done maybe some more current research. So I'd like to get your opinion. I read that, you know, when your ovaries no longer become your estrogen source, your body switches over to your fat cells becoming an estrogen source. What do you know about that? So your, your fat cells are basically endocrine, endocrine glands. I can't say that word today. Uh, and they do produce some estrogen, but if you are, don't have a lot of fat cells, you are still not producing a lot of estrogen. So it's not like it makes a switch. That's where the like 5% has always come from. That you're, So when we say we lose 95% of our estrogen, that's because the ovaries are no longer functioning. But there was always a little bit of trickle that came in from our fat cells. So we sometimes actually see women who are larger and have more adipose tissue may not have the same symptoms as thinner women who don't have as much extra estrogen being produced. Now it goes back and forth because there's other things that oftentimes thin women do that can actually help with some of the, the symptoms of menopause. Like if you exercise regularly, that's actually very helpful with some of those things. If you don't exercise regularly and you're overweight and you do it irregularly, you're going to have, so you could possibly have more menopause symptoms. So if you're like, okay, I hit menopause, 
I've got 20 pounds I want to lose, and all of a sudden I'm going to start working out, you may actually see an increase in some of the things like hot flashes and things like that that you may not have noticed before. I had a, a doctor, my actually my personal doctor say to me, think of the hot flashes, your body reaching out for more estrogen. <laughs> you can't find it. <laughs> got it. You're like, there is none. Stop looking. <laughs> exactly. But that's, it's almost like, well, then when your hot flashes go away, it gives up. You know, some women have hot flashes for seven to 10 years. Oh my goodness. So it, it continues to go on after um, their periods have stopped. And I think sometimes, so say if a woman has a partial hysterectomy where they haven't had their uterus for a number of years, this may be the only indication that all of a sudden they're moving into menopause because they haven't had, I don't know if I want to say the luxury of, you know, at least watching their menstrual cycle, you know, become a little bit more irregular and then stop. Right. So let's talk about hormones for a little bit, because okay. that's typically where the conversation goes. Right. There's a lot of other companies out there right now that right. are um, marketing that you can balance your hormones with food. So I'd like you to talk a little bit. Is that even possible or is that a gimmick and the latest buzzwords to get your money? <laughs> I think a lot of it is buzzwords. So, you know, obviously we're talking about menopause and we're talking about our reproductive hormones. We do know that some of our extra other hormones that are in our bodies um, will actually get flushed out through our digestive system. And the higher fiber diet you have, the better that is. But that's other hormones. That's not necessarily your ovaries. So if you're in menopause and your ovaries aren't being aren't producing estrogen you can't balance it at that point. There's nothing there to balance. So um, some studies have shown that women who consume soy regularly throughout their lives. So we're talking about a lot of Asian populations where um, as I as I listened to a doctor describe this once say, uh, I think it's in Japan. So someone can fact check this for us that they don't even have a word for hot flashes. Mm. And so what they have found is that the incidence of all of the menopausal symptoms that we suffer with in North America is not the same in areas where women have been eating soy for a number of years. It's not that we're balancing hormones with soy, but soy consumption has been shown to help mitigate some of the symptoms that people have because it contains something called phytoestrogens. So it's not that doing a particular program will balance your hormones. There's a way of eating that may just help you feel a little bit better, but it's not really messing with your hormones which I think is important as we talk about soy. So many people are afraid of soy. And mm -hmm. so there are, you know, cultures who have been eating soy for thousands of years has been always part of their diet. Um, and so when they've looked at that, what they found is that a cup or, or so of soy a day seemed to help the women as they went into transitions into menopause have way fewer symptoms than we have in the United States. So soy contains phytoestrogen, so plant estrogen, which is typically what scares people in terms of breast cancer. Um, I've had some men who told me, oh, it'll make me feminine if I eat soy, um, which is not true. And so if people are eating normal amounts, I think there's a few case studies in the literature of people like drinking like a gallon of soy milk a day while eating edamame and tofu, right? You know, welcome to, the, to America, we're gonna overdo it. but Soy's phytoestrogen does not attach to the same estrogen receptor on a cell as our own endogenous or like what we make inside of us estrogen does. 
So what they found is you can get the benefits of the phytoestrogen without the detrimental effects of the estrogen that our bodies make. And so soy products have actually been shown to help with decreasing risks of, of breast cancer, of helping decrease all of our menopausal symptoms. And soy overall is a very healthful food to include in your diet besides hormones. Um, so when we talk about balancing our hormones, you really just need to eat a well-recommended high fiber diet that has some soy in it, and that will be helpful. Um, there's some products, there are some other plants that may also have some phytoestrogens in there. The efficacy has not been really well shown. Um, I know there are people have asked me about things like yam cream. Um, to see how helpful that was. And I said, you know, one of the problems with supplements is that in one study up to 75% of those supplemental products didn't have in there what they said they were going to have because they're not regulated. So you have to be really careful with some of the supplements that are out there. Um, and often the research that supplement companies are citing is research that they did themselves, right. not done in an independent laboratory. So those are things that are important. So in terms of balancing your hormones, we're a little past that. Once we hit menopause or, or the perimenopausal stage, um, for women who are listening or you know men who are listening can let the women they love know, start eating soy earlier in life, lots of fiber, so that in the long run, they found that that is probably most helpful. So just one more quick note on soy, because, you know, again, controversial topic. So I just want to make sure we're, we're hitting it because I can imagine some of the questions that are, people are thinking as they're listening. What about processed soy. So what about things like soy protein isolates that might be found in, you know, protein shakes or protein bars or soy lecithin? Does that have the same response in the body as whole food soy? No. And even semi-processed so tofu or tempeh is better or soy milk. They have found to be helpful. If you're just isolating that soy protein out, you're not getting the benefit of all of those phytoestrogens that we want to have in there. So, and, and one of the ways that, that people who are using the protein supplements can notice this is when we look at protein availability from soy, if you look at the whole soy, like edamame, one of my favorite snacks, right? We can get about 95% of the protein from there. And it's a complete plant protein. It's an excellent source of protein, but we don't get hundred percent because there's fiber and there's phytoestrogens and there's all those other plant compounds. When you're looking at isolating the protein out, that is fantastic for protein utilization. We can get like almost a hundred percent protein utilization because you don't have anything else in the way. So you don't have all the other good stuff that's in the way of all of that very processed soy that is, that is out there. But also on that note, people shouldn't be afraid of using a soy protein isolate if they're using it in moderation. So that's the other thing that when people start looking at soy, um, there, like I said, there's been a few instances in the, in the case study research of extremely large amounts of soy consumption and people having problems with that. But if I had extremely high amounts of broccoli consumption, I would probably also have an issue. Right. So, you know, depends on how much you're actually consuming. So normal amounts, like a cup of soy milk with your cereal in the morning, you know, some edamame tossed into a stir fry, you know, some tofu in, in a scramble, that type of thing is absolutely appropriate. Okay. Are there any foods we should avoid when it comes so, to menopausal symptoms? 
So here is an area where, because it's very subjective, they try to basically put together a lot of anecdotal data. And so what they have found in interviewing and researching women is that simple sugars, added sugars to our diet tend to make hot flashes worse. Um, and then that can often lead to poor sleep. So same kind of recommendations we'd make to people in general, keep your added sugars as low as possible, right? Um, some recommendations are 10% of your calories. The American Heart Association says no more than six teaspoons of added sugar for women a day. So as low as you can keep it, really good. The other thing to avoid is alcohol. And you know, I, you you did mention, and I think that has happened to a lot of people. And you know, I think we're going to go through a lot of medical literature and health literature and think of like pre-COVID and post-COVID. But it seems like we saw a lot of increase in symptoms for menopausal women over COVID because people imbibed a little bit more. Oh, I don't normally drink during the week, but I don't have an hour commute tomorrow, so. I can sleep in that extra hour and I'll be fine. So I'll have a glass of wine at the end of the day. Or I had one person tell me, you know, the way I distinguish between work and home now because I'm working in my home is by having a cocktail. Mm -hmm. So alcohol definitely, and we already know it disrupts sleep. So right. alcohol disrupts sleep. It can aggravate all of the menopausal symptoms. So being really, really careful with alcohol consumption. They've also found spicy foods. So that capsaicin that you love in your, you know, hot sauce, just like it makes you feel hot when you eat it, it can exacerbate sometimes some of the symptoms. So the, the hot foods, spicy food um, can have an impact. And we also find that women who smoke tend to have worse, I know that's not a dietary thing, but it's a lifestyle thing, tend to have worse menopausal symptoms. Okay. So again, general lifestyle changes. Yeah. Um, when we look at things like supplements people can take, um, there have been some things out there that are purported to work. So, and there's a limited research. One is fenugreek, which is which is a spice that some people can try. Um, black cohosh, a lot of women will claim that it works. And then I know other women who are like, I wasted 40 bucks on a supplement. So my concern always with that is, was there actually black cohosh in it, right? So, and mm -hmm. any herbal supplement that someone tries, they really need to talk to their doctor about because, People think herbal, natural, this is fine for me, but it can interact with medicines. So if someone wants to try something, it's really important that they talk to their doctor, their pharmacist, and make sure there's no interactions between things that they wanna try. Um, the other things that have shown to be somewhat helpful is cognitive behavioral therapy, believe it or not, to really think about it because stress can play a role in this. So like sleep, stress is one of those core things to our health. If we're not controlling stress well, everything kind of goes awry. So they've looked at doing some cognitive behavioral therapy and I have actually found that that can help decrease hot flashes. Oh, that's fantastic. I feel like I, I actually just went for a walk with a girlfriend this morning before we taped this. And I was like, COVID was such a, a line in the sand for this for not only our country, I'm sure most countries, we're going to be studying this for so long because, you know, we're seeing anxiety levels through the roof. Yeah. Um, we're seeing, you know, symptom, you know, feeling people feeling like they're not able to control their symptoms or their health. And, you know, I think we're going to be learning so much through this. Um, oh, absolutely. As we're trying to navigate our way through it, you know, with the information yes. we have, it's definitely 
been interesting and to see heightened levels of of stress as a result of what we just went through and how that did not stop once COVID symptoms subsided. No, not at all. I feel like in in the the people that we've worked with and our clients that if anything, stress now has gotten a little bit higher Mm -hmm. because they're trying to navigate this. um, You know, I work at home part-time, I work in an office part-time or, you know, someone in my child's classroom is still getting COVID Mm -hmm. and no one's wearing masks and, you know, and thankfully it's not as severe. And do I get this next vaccine? And what is the impact? And so many more issues to navigate that we didn't think about. Right. In the past, before this, this global pandemic. So, and then on top of that, you're getting a hot flash. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> so a couple other things besides cognitive behavioral therapy, um, they've done some relaxation, massage and yoga have also kind of gone along with that whole idea. Like when you're talking about stress, like what are ways if we release stress, because you know, stress makes every symptom you have worse. Mm-hmm. Pain is worse with stress. Heart attack is worse worse with stress, high blood pressure is worse with stress. So are all of the symptoms of menopause worse, worse with stress. Yeah. Blood sugar too, right? All of those things. Absolutely. So controlling the stress can really actually help with some of those things. Well, I want to go back because you mentioned exercise can be so helpful. So when we're going, you know, perimenopausal women, postmenopausal women, Let's talk a little bit about what exercise is best for this group of women, because again, you have, you know, we grew up in the era of, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, like Jane Fonda. I always say it's, we grew up in the area of cardio, cardio. And when that doesn't work more cardio, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Just keep doing it. Eat, you know, eat less exercise more and just keep going at it and it will work. Does that work at this stage of the game? So I think in any stage of the game, the best exercise is exercise that you'll do, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yes. So if you love to walk and that's what you want to do, then walk. If you like to go for a bike ride, if you like to dance, there are so many things that are out there that are available. So I'm a big proponent of do what you'll do. However, as women are reaching this age, one of the things that estrogen was protective for was our bones. So this is when we start seeing some issues with bone mass. So anything that increases muscle mass will also increase our bone mass. And so we really want to think long and hard about what weight bearing exercises are we also doing at this point? Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I, I run and walk and hike and bike and I love cardio, but I also know that the strength training component is very important. And as a certified personal trainer, the American college of sports medicine, um, along with some other organizations have recommended for everyone at least two days of full body strength training a week, right? So for my son, that looks like dividing it up over four days and doing the upper body one day, lower body another day, taking a break, upper body, lower body. For me, that means I do all parts of my body on one day, okay? It can be as, it could take as long as you want or as long as you're exercising all of the major muscle groups for a period of, you know, we usually recommend at least two sets of like eight to 10 of a weight you can lift. Then you're, you're stressing your bones out. There's great body weight exercises that you thought when you left a gym class in elementary school that you didn't have to worry about them anymore, but your crunches or sit-ups and planks, great for exercising the core. 
push-ups. You, you can be as strong as you want, but let, I can tell you, there are still some people who can lift a lot of weight over their head. They still can't do a, a very good push-up. Mm -hmm. So we can do air squats. We can just, you know, do wall sits. We're up against the wall and then we're stressing the muscles in our legs. So, and as women, yes, we saw Jane Fonda, who was, um, as I had someone tell me, a cardio bunny. Um, you know, like the energizer bunny, just keep going at it, going at it, going at it. And while cardio burns the most calories, what's burning your calories are your muscles. So if you develop some more muscle, then those muscles are still burning calories at rest. So having a really good combination of those is important. The other thing I think that sometimes people leave out because they're so concerned with, am I getting muscle? Am I burning calories? Is flexibility. And the mm -hmm. older we get, we lose flexibility. So as women are going through menopause and we're thinking, okay, we're keeping our bones strong. That's great, but you still don't want to fall. So the other recommendation is two dedicated sessions a week where you're also exercise, you're also stretching your entire body. So whether that's a yoga session or you just put on an exercise video, that's all stretching, you know, on YouTube or trying to find something that you think, okay, from a head to toe approach, how am I stretching all of the parts of my body? The more flexible you are, the more flexible your blood vessels are, which can also be a bonus as we get older for heart disease. But I'm looking at an aging population who is having more falls. So strength and flexibility are really important there too. Yeah. Well, and to be able to show up the next day and work out. <laughs> so yeah. you're not so sore. <laughs> So this is your public service announcement. Don't skip the stretching, the cool down stretching after your workout. Right. Don't and ideally what people need to remember is when they, before they work out to do a dynamic stretch. Mm -hmm. So if people don't know what that is, I would say picture Michael Phelps, you know, who was on deck to swim. He's moving his arms in giant circles, you know, doing leg kicks, all of those kinds of things. Things that are similar to the motion you're going to do that, that warm up your muscles and make them more flexible. Afterwards is where we want to do that static stretch where we can just hold something, right? Touch your toes. Um, all of those yoga poses that, that people talk about um, and to, to get a good stretch on. Use your door jams to stretch your arms out. Use your steps to stretch your calves out. Let your heels hang down. You can, you can do that. And so making sure that you can feel it, but it doesn't, it shouldn't be, it should be a little bit uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be painful. Right. So. Well, and we can put a plug in for body metrics because when you're a client, you get a workout calendar every month every filled month. with yes. weight-bearing exercises. You don't need any equipment. And um, I think a lot of people have had really great success with it because it's it's nothing overwhelming, right? It's like right. a couple minutes a day, but yet it gets their body moving and then they gain confidence through that. Like, oh yeah, I can do these. And sometimes the, the worst part is like, what am I going to do today? Right. Right. It's that like inertia of, I know I should exercise, but what should I do? Well, we have a calendar for you. You yeah. don't even have to think about what you're going to do because it's all planned out for you. And okay. If you miss a day, we're not going to come down and hammer you on it, but you just pick up with the next day. Right. And it gives you those resources and, the, and those tools, like you said, to develop the confidence that you can do this. Right. And then you start getting that confidence. You're like, well, what else can I do? Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So you talked about um, some supplements that maybe we can look into in terms of nutritional deficiencies. You talked about bone health. So, you know, I know for women, as we get older, calcium becomes a really big, important topic. Is there anything else that, or well, if you want to expand on that? So I think 
so vitamin D for certain, we need to make sure we're getting adequate vitamin D. Um, and as we, you know, I think tomorrow's the first day of fall, right? Oh, maybe I think tomorrow <laughs> or the next day, but, um, when we're in fall and, and winter, we're not as close to the sun. So basically points, Philadelphia and North around the globe. And I don't know the Southern point because I don't live down there. Um, we're not going to make vitamin D in our skin. I often hear people say, well, I'll just get it outside while I'm walking. So it's really important to think about where are your dietary sources or possibly a supplement. And it's a very easy blood test to know if you're low in vitamin D. So really important for women to get vitamin D. Calcium is a double-edged sword. We have to be careful not to get too much calcium. So right now the recommendation is for women to try to make sure they're getting about 600 to 800 milligrams of calcium a day, preferably in your diet. Mm -hmm. as opposed to a supplement, because if you do consume extra and it's part of a food, it's easier for your body to get rid of it. When we're taking really concentrated supplements, sometimes we overdo it. So being careful not to overdo the calcium, but to get it. And if you're, do, if you're drinking milk or you're drinking an alternative milk, they're fortified with calcium. If you hate both of those, grab fortified orange juice, have mm -hmm. some leafy greens, have some almonds, it's in a lot more things than I think people realize to get their calcium. Vitamin D is much harder. It's not in a lot of foods unless you're eating like sardines from your can um, or you're drinking fortified, fortified milk. Um, the other thing that everyone listening to the podcast over the age of 50 should be worried about is vitamin B12. So the older we get, the much harder it is for our bodies to absorb B12. And B12 is actually from a bacteria in the ground when animals eat their grasses and things off the ground, they're consuming some of that B12. Cows can make a little bit with the bacteria in their gut, then it concentrates in their tissue. So for people who eat meat and animal products, they're getting a little bit of B12. We're still not even sure if that's enough at this point, but we know that as we get older, it's much harder to absorb that B12. So that's something else you can also have blood work done. Um, not all insurances cover that. So talk to your, you know, your physician about that, but what the recommendation is, is 2.4 micrograms a day. It's not a lot. So people who are drinking some of the alternative milks have B12 in it, some don't. So looking for that. Some nutritional yeast that people use is fortified with B12, but buying a supplement is also easy. Um, and it's interesting that we're talking about this because my own brother-in-law was just talking to me about, you know, just some issues because I'm the free nutrition advice in the family, which I'm sure um, you you get. Um, he said, what is this I'm hearing about B12? Should I be taking B12? So we talked about his diet and he does consume animal products. Not a whole lot. He's an avid, he exercises a lot. And we, we talked about B12 and the only supplement that he could find that was USP verified, United States Pharmacopeia, um, was a thousand micrograms. And I said, you know what? The nice thing about B12 is we store it in our liver. So you can take it just two or three times a week so that you're getting the B12 if you didn't find a smaller supplement. So definitely something that as everyone ages, they need to, to be aware of is the B12. Okay. And women don't need as much iron after they hit menopause either when they're not having their periods. So right. that is also, also a good thing is that that doesn't have to be high on the list of, am I getting the adequate amount of iron that I need? If you're tired, it might be B12 or it might mean you need to sleep more. <laughs> Or even vitamin D, right? Like, right. or and that's no mood, depression and some of those mood changes. And, you know, we heard about it for COVID, you know, immune function, you know, mm -hmm. 
Extra won't help improve your immunity, but make sure you're getting adequate amounts so that your immune system can do what it's supposed to do. So, and I think sometimes we feel tired when we have a little, we're fighting off a little bit of a bug. So keeping our immune systems working, you know, at the top of their game is important. Okay. So I want to go into like the practical part now, because okay. I, I love talking about nutrition and, and inspiring people, but you know, when it comes down to it, like, what are the action steps? So I want to break this up into three different components. So first, just for overall health. All right. So just the woman going through menopause, experiencing symptoms, what are like three nutrition tips that maybe you could pass on to them so they can like, I can, I can do that, right? Like they can feel like they're right. checking Check a box. Do a checklist. Yes. Yes. I would say add soy to your diet. Okay. It could be a glass of soy milk. It could be, you know, you pop some edamame in the microwave and steam it up while you're making dinner, right? As a little appetizer. Um, because soy is not only helpful for the menopausal symptoms, we know that it also helps reduce the cholesterol, reduce blood pressure, and reduce osteoporosis risk. So those are three easy things to do, right? Um, the other thing I'm going to say, eating more fruits and vegetables and fiber in general. Right. So the American Gut Project just came out with they found that people who eat 30 or more plants a week have a better microbiome. Right. All those good bacteria that live in our gut that help keep us healthy to keep them healthy. Lots of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, herbs and spices. That's something easily you can add to your diet. Have have that, you know, the, the blanket recommendation is two cups of fruit, three cups of vegetables a day. Add those into your what you're eating can be really, really helpful. And then water. I mean, that's simple, right? Avoiding those sugar-sweetened beverages. So if we avoid that added sugar in those beverages, it will also help the hot flashes, but it will take out a lot of calories too, that as we get older, a lot of us don't really need. So yeah. soy, fiber, and fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and water. Three easy okay. things. Now let's switch gears here though. What about if you have somebody who's looking to um, manage their weight or maybe lose some weight? What, um, do you give any different recommendations for that or, you know, is it pretty much the same and just being conscientious of your portions, we'll say. Well, and I, I well, I think it, those three things are absolutely important for anyone looking at weight, but also remembering that the, the weight that all of a sudden someone's noticing during menopause didn't just show up in the last six months, right? It's been a lifetime of choices that we've made. And so looking at things like the 30 different plants, right? How do I get enough fruits and vegetables in my diet? Because if you are getting all of those, it helps to displace some of the other things, right? And so my recommendation with that, especially for someone looking to lose weight is preloading with fruits and vegetables. Let's start your meal with a fruit or a vegetable. They did some really interesting research where they gave people an apple before each meal. That's the only dietary change they made. Control troop group didn't get the apple. The people who got the apple lost weight, which doesn't seem like you added an apple, you added something, how did they lose weight? But what they realized when they went back and looked at calorie counts is that that apple may have been 80 calories, but it made them full and satiated and they ate 200 less calories or so at the meal. Mm -hmm. So preloading with fruits and vegetables is huge. Very, very helpful. Um, again, thinking about the water, right? People have been hearing all the time, drink water before a meal, drink water before a meal. So newer, newer research used to be, we told people one cup. Now they found two cups is even better, 
don't go more than three cups because then we run into, you know, too much water, but two cups, 16 ounces while you're eating the apple before the meal, drink 16 ounces of water, right? I always tell people, you know, while you're prepping your meal or you're getting ready to have it, those are easy things to do when you're getting ready to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just to mm -hmm. do those things. And then obviously exercise. I know it's not a nutrition tip, <laughs> but so the recommendation for general health is 150 minutes of cardio exercise a week. So we still have to do our strength and we still have to do our stretching. So people can divide that up however they want. They can do 30 minutes, five days a week. You can do an hour some days. Um, I have a couple of people who like they exercise Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because that's what works for them. But that's for general health. The American College of Sports Medicine recommends 300 minutes of cardio exercise a week for weight loss. That's an hour a day, five days a week. So it doesn't have to be all at one time. I easily get an hour a day because I walk my dogs in the morning and at night. So, you know, and if you say, well, I have a slow dog, right? Well, come walk in my neighborhood because we all do things like running in place while our dogs are sniffing, you know, like, so there's ways to make that more active, but really the, the fruits and vegetables with that fiber, having it before you eat, having the water, especially before you eat, adding the exercise. And then as always pay attention to your portion size. Yeah. Yeah. After I love so it. People use a smaller plate, you know, the same things that people can repeat back to me because they've heard it so many times, but are they doing it? Most likely not. Yeah. Or another thing, like get the veggie tray, right? Put it out yes. on the counter. So you're I keep snacking your on that. All the time. <laughs> right. Well, you're snacking I credit that, that to you because it's so easy, right? How long do you really have time to chop them all up? If not time value of money, go buy a fruit tray, go buy a veggie tray and have that easily available. What is in front of you is what you'll eat. Yeah. Right. So if you leave a bowl of M&Ms on your desk, you're probably going to eat M&Ms. If you leave a couple pieces of fruit on your desk when you get to work in the morning, that's what you'll grab. Don't hide everything in your produce drawers. I know, you know, we want to keep our refrigerators looking nice and clean, but if you always have to open the drawer and you're really hungry, you're going to grab the first thing. And that's might not always be the best thing to grab first. Right. So. Michelle, this has been awesome. You are such a wealth of information and we are honored and blessed and just so thankful that you are part of our team because I know our clients just benefit so much from your wisdom. Well, it's a pleasure. I mean, I enjoy working with all of our clients. You know, we have a, a vast array of them. Um, so not just our menopausal clients, but let's keep you healthy going into menopause, right? Yeah. So that's the overall thing. Might not really be weight loss, I always tell people, let's focus on things that we can measure just as easily, your cholesterol numbers, your blood pressure, right? Make sure your kidneys and your liver are functioning okay. Because yeah. that's what that's what helps in the in the long term. Well, and honestly, I think that's what makes us a little different than some other practices because you know, you might come to us for a short-term challenge, but mm -hmm. we're always going to be looking at your long-term health in making right. those short-term recommendations. So, Absolutely. you know, we're always looking at how can we make sure you're healthy now and later, and you're not setting yourself up for potentially more problems. You know, that's not our job is to have you keep coming in. We want to help right. you and be successful. Well, and I often tell people, my job is to work, is to educate you to work myself out of a job. Then maybe you need to come back once or twice for a tune-up, but to teach you those life skills and the lifestyle changes, because it's not a short-term diet in air quotes here. It is long-term lifestyle change and every day getting up and saying, this is the choice I'm going to make. I'm going to make sure I get my five servings of fruits and vegetables so that I can try to get 
you know, 30 different plants a week. I'm going to make sure that if I need to, I take a water bottle to work with me. Um, you know, I'm going to make sure that I try to figure out when I can fit some exercise in that I like to do. So if you only get to exercise once during the week, but you have a weekend that you can go biking and hiking and doing all kinds of fun things, make it enjoyable because then you want to do it. So, and those are, those are how we make changes over time. And, and we can see those, those changes. I love when someone comes in, they wanted to lose weight, but their cholesterol goes down 20 points. Right. Yeah. Right. So those are, those are the things that are really helpful. Yeah. So Michelle, we always end uh, every episode with a recipe. And when we have a guest, I always invite them to share. So um, do you have a recipe that, you know, maybe a go-to or a quick, easy idea that you think others would enjoy as well? Absolutely. We could call this Michelle's menopause scramble. Okay. Um, because like I have found that one of the easiest ways for me to get soy into my diet, besides the edamame that I like to snack on, is making a scramble in the morning for breakfast. And so I've played around with this a lot to get my own children to eat it. And um, what I do is I use extra firm tofu and I take it out of the refrigerator and I usually take it and slice it in half lengthwise. So I have two squares and I leave it sit on a paper towel to drain a bit. While that's going on, I chop whatever vegetables are in my refrigerator. Um, it could be leftover roasted broccoli from the night before. It can be kale you know, carrots, peppers, onions, whatever I have, um, I use it, I use as much as I can. And I, I chop that and I start it in a skillet with a little bit of water or broth. I try to keep the fat minimal and I start cooking that while it's getting soft. So while that's basically cooking on medium, I take that tofu and I cut it, I guess, kind of in columns and I run it through my food processor on the grater. Mm. So it actually grates the firm tofu and I then mix that in with the vegetables. It almost looks like shredded cheese. So again, easy to fool someone. I add a lot of turmeric. Turmeric is a great anti-inflammatory spice. It also turns it yellow. So my kids thought it was scrambled eggs the first time they had it, right? And then you add in whatever you want. You know, if you want an Italian themed, you add basil, oregano. If you want a more, you know, Latino influence, you can add your cumin and your taco spices. And so, I'll make that and I can eat it for breakfast all week. So it easily reheats. Um, sometimes if I still, if I'm reheating it and I have extra vegetables left over from the night before, I'll throw more veggies in. But it's actually surprisingly easy to make. And because you can make a lot at one time, you can, you know, do it on a Sunday morning and then have it for breakfast through the week because it's really easy. And it's an easy way to get your soy and your veggies in. Yeah. I'm always like telling people, just grab whatever you have in the fridge and just throw it in your breakfast. Um, yes. Right. And, and I think we both know that that people who have vegetables at breakfast, whether it's in an, an omelet, you know, a scramble in a smoothie are more likely to hit those numbers for the rest of the day mm -hmm. in getting their fruits and vegetables in. Yes. So, Do not let it be up to dinner to be your redeeming meal. Right. So an awful it. lot of veggies to eat at one meal. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, I have to share with you and it's, I don't even know if it's embarrassing or, or exciting, but this morning I like was trying to rummage through the refrigerator to see what we had. And, um, I was like, ah, oh, corn and peas. Well, here we go. And I threw it in my eggs. It worked, you know, it was all sweet with the, with the, um, with the corn and, you know, maybe a little starchy along with it, but you know what? It, Sometimes you just got to get the job done. Right. And, and if you don't have fresh vegetables, 
don't be afraid to use frozen vegetables. That's right. That's right. You know, especially as, you know, here in Pennsylvania, as we move into the fall months where we don't have as many fresh vegetables available, I keep my freezer stocked with frozen veggies so I can do the same thing. Yeah. And I can continue to add them to things that I eat. You know, I'm a, I, I would tell you that probably one of my favorite foods are heirloom tomatoes, like, or mm -hmm. like a tomato that someone gives me fresh off the vine, but in the middle of winter, they're awful. So I will use, I'll use chopped diced tomatoes that I, in a can, I'll drain the liquid off. I'll throw those in. Yeah. You know, so I can, I can add all those things in at the same, at the same time. So it's something when I make breakfast, I tell people it doesn't have to be breakfast food either. Like if, if you want to have noodles for breakfast, there are places in the world where they're eating noodles and rice for breakfast, eat that and add your veggies to that. Yeah. So we sometimes yeah. get hung up on this. It has to be a breakfast food too. Right. No. And people actually tend to like that better. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like, like black beans on toast, delicious little salsa on top, mm -hmm. way to, to get things in. And it's a little different. It's not as sweet as some, some breakfast that people are used to eating. Right. And then that, I mean, we could just keep going on and on, right? right. We could talk, we could do a whole thing about breakfast too, but we won't. <laughs> well, no, I was gonna say, but then that trickles into, you know, if you're eating something more sweet for breakfast, then you might tend to start desiring more sweet things throughout the day. And you mentioned how much we should, you know, be conscientious of our sugar consumption. Right. So pay attention. If you notice that you're, you, when you eat a higher protein breakfast or a more savory breakfast, it cuts down on your cravings for sweet, take that information and go with right. it. And fiber research has right. shown that if you eat a lot of fiber at one meal, you're likely to eat less at the next two meals. Right. And, and more and more eat a big breakfast and eat less throughout the rest of the day, because that is your body's prepared in the morning. Your insulin sensitivity is at its best. If we wait and eat our big meal at night, and then we're just going to sit down on the couch and watch Netflix all night then that's, we need to flip-flop that. We need to eat more in the morning. So another great reason to get those veggies in in the morning. That's right. Oh, Michelle, you are awesome. We Thanks love you. Me. This was great. Yes. If you have not yet met Michelle, you have to. So go onto our website, go to bodymetricshealth.com, call our office. I'm going to plug you 610-454-7332. <laughs> you call our office and you ask to meet with Michelle because you will not be disappointed. She has a heart for people. She's passionate about her job and um, and, you're, and you'll love her. So, so thank you so much for being on thank here today. Thank you, Adrian. This was great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.